0: Area 941 Podcasts are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at KPFA.org. This is the Bay Area Theater Podcast. I am Richard Wolinsky, with interviews conducted over the years and during the pandemic with playwrights, directors, actors, and producers. This interview with Judith Ivey was first posted on January 5th, 2018. My guest is Judith Ivey, was appearing in Harold Pinter's classic play, The Birthday Party, directed by Carrie Perloff at ACT's Geary Theatre January 10th through February 4th. Judith Ivey has appeared in several Broadway productions, including the role of Amanda in The Glass Menagerie and Sally Durant in Sondheim's Follies and is the winner of two Tony Awards for her work. She's appeared in numerous films and television shows, from The Devil's Advocate and Flags of Our Fathers, to a seasoned stint on designing women and guest-starring roles in dozens of programs. In The Birthday Party, she portrays Meg, half of a couple who run a boarding house where the events of the play occur. Judith Ivey, Birthday Party is Pinter, it's early Pinter, How familiar were you, have you been with the play? Have you ever performed in it before?
1: I performed in it in college, playing the other female part. I was Lulu. And uh, so this is kind of a rite of passage to (laughs) come full circle and play the old lady now.
0: (laughs) Have you ever seen the film version?
1: No, I haven't. And I probably won't now. I, I don't like being influenced by other people, other performances, when I'm working on something. So I'll wait and watch it when we close. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I avoided seeing it this
0: time, um, mostly because it's Pinter and there are changes. I know he wrote the screenplay, but there are sufficient changes. And it's not exactly a play to watch twice in a row, I don't think, or is it?
1: Well, it depends. What are your taste buds? You know, I think the great thing about playing Pinter, there's so many questions one has, and there are multiple answers. So I'm sure you could come and see the birthday party two or three times and, and walk away possibly with a different point of view each time. When you're
0: doing this play, as opposed to other plays, is there a difference in how you prepare for Pinter? as opposed to preparing, say, for Sondheim's
1: Follies or any of the other shows you've done? I guess I've read more about him, how he felt about his writing, because he's been very vocal about it. I've read about Sondheim, too. So if it's something that I feel is a specific style, then I care about the voice of the playwright in a different way. I care about all playwrights' voices, but there is a definite style that Pinter invented, really, and changed the world of theater in many ways. So... I probably have read more and looked more up than I would with, let's say, certainly an American play because it would be far more familiar to me.
0: The character of Meg, because so much of Pinter is enigmatic, does that give you more room to play with the character? I mean, how does that work in relation to other roles you've taken?
1: I think that's true. I think there's something very specific in that style, that oddly frees you. So by having a, so many questions not answered, then your exploration of that woman and, 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 and what does she want and why did she say that, it leaves the door The door is wide open for it. So it's great fun to figure out, is she happy about this? (laughs) Is she sad about it? Is it a genuine question? Is it a rhetorical question? There's a a lot of choices, and I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure Carrie Perloff, our director, is very specific, and she is gosh, a Pinter expert. So I'm very, uh, let's say, almost childlike with her as our director, taking as much as I can get from her because she knew Pinter when he was alive. She worked with him. And so she's a great guide as to what are the choices and, and how specific can we be? Should we be specific?
0: When you're talking about being specific, what exactly do you mean?
1: Well, honing in on, for instance, I'll go back to the question. Am I asking this question out of concern? Am I asking it for simple information? Am I expecting this answer and then I get this answer? We all do that in almost any play we rehearse, but I think that more importantly, with Pinter, you are... Um, Uh, honing in on, so that you don't go down a garden path, as he (laughs) uses the phrase many times, that is simply going to confuse the issue even more, you know, since he's not going to give you all the answers. If you can be pretty specific about, I'm asking this question because I really want to know. You know, Meg's an innocent. She's the innocent in the play. So is it a bad idea to have her be overly concerned and and overly fraught about a certain issue? Is that going to take the audience in a direction we don't want to go?
0: Going back to that, So someone says something to Meg, and you have to respond. Now, there are those, you know, the Meisner technique would say the words are for the audience and not for the people on stage. But for you, the response also means that there's got to be something in your head about what you're expecting too, right?
1: With Meg, not necessarily. Really? (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of empty room up there, I think, so... I think she asks many questions innocently with no presumption of what the answer is going to be. I think there's a genuine openness and, and, and childlike query on her part. It's, it's very entertaining for me to play her because I'm, I'm not like her at all. <laughs> I'm much more cynical and much more sarcastic and, and, uh, possibly, uh, Uh, not paranoid, but expecting maybe the worst, certainly in comparison to Meg. When you're
0: responding back and forth, given Pinter, and given the fact that, say, in most plays, you're also working off the other actors in a particular way, does this change things? I mean, at that level, is working Pinter the same as working any other play?
1: No, I think where he truly is different is uh, basically addressing what you said before, the Meissner. Pinter doesn't feel it is for the audience, that it's uh, we're doing it and you make the audience come to you. You don't go to the audience. Therefore, in rehearsing him, it's a very intimate uh, exploration, and once again, very specific, so that the audience can, in some ways, make their own assumptions, but we're guiding them, but only in the way we are giving to each other and filling in that that space that Pinter creates, unlike so many other playwrights.
0: Is it similar to, say, doing Beckett? Have you done Beckett?
1: I've never really done Beckett. Uh, once again, in college, as an exercise, I did Waiting for Godot, a female version and I only remember how horrible it was, so I, I I don't think I have any business going back and reviving that one as a, another rite of passage. I, I don't have the experience of him, but I certainly have the experience of seeing Beckett and uh, reading Beckett. And obviously, he was friends with Beckett, and Beckett influenced him. He gave him his plays to read as he wrote them, so... Yes, I I would imagine if I did a Beckett play, it might be similar. Uh, Judith
0: Ivey, for those who aren't that aware of the birthday party, let's go back a step. What exactly is the setup and what exactly is your role?
1: That's my greatest fear, you were going to ask me this. Um, I run a sort of, it's a boarding house on the seaside, southern side of England, and we have a man staying with us who started out as a boarder, but he stayed for a year now, which is far longer than most people would normally stay at my seaside boarding house home. I live there with my husband, and two men show up they seem to know Stanley, who's our boarder. Once they find out that he really, he's staying there, confirmed by me, I say today is his birthday. So we plan a birthday party, at, hence the name of the play. It doesn't go well. Um, the, uh, it, everybody gets really loaded and People get hurt, and uh, a young woman who I am friends with, Lulu, comes to the birthday party, and she likewise gets her feelings hurt, if not maybe some physical abuse. And I don't even remember what happened. I got so loaded, being uh, a non-drinker, really, and she overdrinks and wakes up the next morning and is trying to piece together what happened at the birthday party. I won't say what the ending is because, of course, spoiler, you know, don't want to spoil it for people, but it, you know, deals with truth, deals with uh, honesty, innocence, lack of innocence. Is the mob involved? You know, there are all kinds of elements that you, the audience, can deduce. Why are these men here and why did they come to get Stanley?
0: There's an interpretation I found online that. This is a political play, and these men represent the government and what they could do to you or to anyone. Mm -hmm. And that brings it back to, of course, politics of today. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at the play, do you see any of that?
1: Uh, I guess as Judy, I certainly get it, but I'm sort of immersed in Meg, and Meg wouldn't, she wouldn't, she doesn't get that at all. You know, they're just two very nice men who've come and then we're going to have a party, you know. Well, 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 that, that brings up a question. If Judy
0: is getting it and Meg is not, then when you're performing it, a part of you has to be really dumb to another part of you.
1: Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting on a different mask, you know, so, and, and that really is a lot of what in rehearsal is stripping away Judy's, um, uh, let's say, sophistication in comparison to Meg's and uh, going for a, a simpler choice, a simpler point of view.
0: Does that make it hard, like in this conversation, to talk as Judy when you're immersed in rehearsal as Meg?
1: A little bit. I listen to all the other actors, and as they are analyzing and sorting and so on, there's a part of me that's just turning off and not listening uh, or taking it in because... I don't need that information, you know. I don't uh, I don't want that information. It it takes me down a garden path I don't want to go. So, yeah, it's a little tough. I, I I think do these actors think I'm an idiot because <laughs> I'm just not participating or I have nothing to say, but it it's valuable to me as an actress to to not uh get too sophisticated with it.
0: Well, that, that's part of your process, and your process is going to be different than other people's process, I would assume. A little.
1: Yes, bit. a little bit, because no one else has quite that is quite as simple as Meg.
0: Judith Ivy, I want to ask you about a couple of the other roles. I'm a huge Follies fan. I think it's the mm. greatest musical ever.
1: It's wonderful.
0: And I saw it in London uh-huh. recently oh, uh, oh, in right? the Imelda I Staunton it, yeah. version. Uh, when you were approaching that one. And when you're dealing with Sally, are you also taking the same approach? Because Sally is far less sophisticated than certainly the other characters in Follies. And yet at the same time, all of the lyrics are incredibly sophisticated.
1: Uh, Somewhat, yeah. I remember we were directed by Matthew Warchus, the production I was in, and he really wanted it to be a play with music as opposed to a musical. And so there was great emphasis on the acting. He went back and found uh, an early version text of that show that he wanted to use rather than some that have evolved since Follies was such an acclaimed Uh, musical, and it required a lot more acting than a lot of musicals do, a lot more sophisticated acting. And therefore, it made doing the, the music different as well, because it wasn't purely in a presentational musical style, uh, was his contribution as a director, which I thought was quite brilliant. A lot of people didn't like that production <laughs> because they felt that all the glamour and the glitz and the the, the bigness of that musical, he took away. He t- took it down to its bare bones, and so there wasn't as, as much... Um, follies and follies of that kind. There was a a lot more serious, dark folly going on. And for my money, you know, it was more entertaining for me as an actor. Uh, I'm not considered a musical actor, so it was daunting to play Sally because the range of what you have to be able to sing is, is huge. And I didn't have the you know, the experience that most people on Broadway doing musicals have. But that's what this director wanted, was uh, a simpler, uh, less sophisticated, and, and maybe even capture what would it be like if this real person sang these songs as opposed to a musical actress singing these songs. So, So
0: you kind of understood that before it opened that the critics might have – some problems with it
1: take umbrage yes yes it was it wasn't surprising mean, I don't read reviews while I'm doing something I read them after the fact so it didn't surprise me that they were not necessarily happy with the full production but I'm not even, a, you know, I'm, I'm not very sophisticated about musicals, so the, I remember one night leaving the theater, and some man was standing there at the stage door, and he's, Miss Ivy, Miss Ivy, um, I just have to talk to you, you have to talk to this director, this is wrong. You just have to tell him to fix it. And I said, what's wrong with it? And he said, there's no beauty. There's no, and he went on and on about, you know, a version he had seen, which was much bigger and grander and not quite embracing the seedy side of these people who are getting together for a reunion and their lives haven't gone as well as they had hoped.
0: Judith Ivy, I want to talk a little bit about your career But one quick question about the birthday party, or even any of these shows, how different do performances on Broadway, how different are they one night from another?
1: Well, the audience changes it. You know, that's why I love the theater, as opposed to TV and film. Which uh, you've done a lot of. I've I've had the great good fortune to do a lot of it. (laughs) But there's nothing like that interaction with an audience and telling them the story Possibly for the first time in most cases, I don't know that a lot of people have seen the birthday party in several incarnations. So that's certainly my approach every night that I go out there. And they can change that. You know, they can laugh at something, and you, you haven't. No one's laughed at it ever before. And immediately, I'm on my game of "Ooh, what does that mean?" You know, what can can? Oh, that's a good idea. Let's keep that. And likewise with the drama of it, the tears of it. If, uh, um, if you hear people shuffling and not being quiet and captured, then that gives you a signal you've, you're, you're not communicating that particular night. Why am I not communicating? What did I change? What did I not do? Uh,
0: Judith Ivey, going back, did you always want to be an actress? Was this was something that from when you were a little girl?
1: No, I in fact was not in a play until I was a a junior in high school. Uh, My family moved a lot, and the last move that I had to do, because I still lived at home, uh, the only thing I could do in that little town that hadn't already been elected or assigned when school started was the school play. So I decided to go out for it. And my speech teacher, I have stayed in touch with, and she told me about oh, I guess eight or nine years ago when I visited her, that I actually came to the audition in the big auditorium and saw all those people sitting there and said, oh, I can't do this, and left. And so she saw me in the hall the next day at school and said, did you want to audition for the play? And I said, yeah, but I can't get up in front of all those people like that. So she auditioned me in the supply room and cast me. And I, you know, once she was telling me this story, I said, what were you going to do if I couldn't get up in front of people after you cast me. And she said, well, I was just going to burn that bridge when I got to it. (laughs) We lived in Southern Illinois at the time. And I I wanted to be a painter. I was a visual artist, and this was just a lark. And everyone encouraged me from there on out. So I feel like I'm here because of encouragement, not because of my own ambition. (laughs) Then in
0: the early 80s, you won two Tony Awards, (laughs) which... I mean that must have been pretty incredible to to get there. At that point, were you thinking, I want to stay on the stage? Were you thinking I could go to Hollywood and be a star
1: there? What was going on in your mind? I started my career in Chicago and while I was there working as an actress, I went to New York for a visit and I was completely captured by Rosemary Harris in the royal family. And I made the decision at that point, that's who I want to be. I want to be a Broadway star. It never occurred to me uh, that I would ever be on TV or in a movie or anything like that. And once I did a play called Steaming, which changed my life, which is, I won a Tony for for that performance, then I started making movies and I really... I feel lucky that I got to do that from a Broadway show. Nowadays, it's very hard for a a young actor, as I was at that time, to uh, get a starring role on Broadway. Uh, without being a TV star to right. begin with or a movie star to begin with. So I'm very lucky that I was in that generation where they went to Broadway and looked at the young actors and said, oh, there, look at her. Let's have her come in. And, and that changed, of course, my whole lifestyle, that I could go and make movies and subsidize my theater habit. So and that's
0: the way it works. I mean, the day job are these these one shots on television, right?
1: Yes, Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And the movies precipitated TV movies, and that's how I met Ted Danson doing a movie. and he's the one who gave me my first big job as a, 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 you know a, a star in a TV show. So they all beget one another or begat one another. I, I just feel so fortunate, especially since I don't have that kind of drive and ambition that I certainly see in a lot of other actors. Well, that
0: that brings us to the question that we're going through the Me Too moment. And, of course, we know about Harvey Weinstein. And I've talked to people about the old days of Hollywood and the casting couch. Uh, did you fall into getting harassed? What was your take on all of that? Did you look the other way? Did you know about Weinstein on some level?
1: No, I was older. And I, I have to say... <laughs> Uh, I've never had a casting couch uh, situation. Uh, I just completed a play on the East Coast with Jane Alexander, another influence on my career. And I've waited all these years and to work with her and finally got to. And we were talking about this because it all came out while we were... Uh, performing this play, and we shared a dressing room, and w- both of us didn't have any stories to tell. So we were kind of laughing, and I think Jane said, "What well, we should create a hashtag? What about me?" Um, <laughs> because we don't have that. I think that that you know there are, let's say, what would I call it? Um, stereotypes in our business and. I never played those stereotypes. Jane never played those stereotypes. And I think that the men in power who are now being, you know, called to order here embrace the stereotype. And if any of those uh, actresses fit the stereotype, then they interpreted that that's who they were, and therefore they could take advantage of them. I mean, nobody is a stereotype, so it's a framework that's created, especially in show business. Well, you
0: must have heard rumors about things going on over the years. You mean about Weinstein? Or whomever, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, you hear about, you know, he's a big flirt, uh, he'll come on to you, be careful, but it never happened. So, you know, there's a part of me that would have to say, why didn't he come on to me, but he came on to you? You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, to, to, to give, an uh, I guess, another example of, of this sort of thing is when they say, oh, she's a diva, she's impossible, you know, right. be careful. And there are quite a few women who I've been warned against, and they were perfectly fine. Uh, you know, it may be motivation. What do you want out of it? If all you want is to take advantage of some young woman, you don't really care who it is or what the response is going to be, because it's all about you. That's that's what's that's why it's it's caving in on everyone. You know, because it was there was no concern about anything except their own personal wants and needs.
0: Judith Ivey, what I'm, I'm not going to. Force you to answer this, but what are some of the favorite roles that you've done that you just kind of look at and go, "Wow, I really love doing that." And it might be just in a performance where the other people are like, you know, that you're really vibing well with that.
1: Well, I truly loved the role I just did in this brand new play, Fireflies. It's a beautiful story. I was the comic relief. I love comedy. It's it's a puzzle for me, and I love trying to figure it out. She was uh, uh, just a delight to go to work and become her. I've had so many wonderful roles. It's a really hard question to answer. Uh, One that always pops in my mind when I'm asked this is a woman named B. Small was her name. And it was a play called Precious Sons by George Firth, who was a dear friend of mine, uh, having worked on that. And we became great friends. I miss him terribly because he's so funny and uh, a wonderful writer, and I loved that story, and I loved the enthusiasm and the brightness and the 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 comedy once again, and then there was a great deal of drama uh, when the play turned, and it's just great to, to be able to flex all the muscles, so uh, certainly she comes to mind over and over. I, I loved playing Shirley Valentine. I finally got to play Amanda Wingfield. And I got to do it three different times, the same incarnate. We just kept moving theaters. You know, there's just so many wonderful parts. There, there you go. There's, there's an answer. <laughs> well, Judith, Ivy,
0: mean, we're pretty much out of time. What do you have coming up? Do you have anything on television coming up? Or uh, what's your next play after this?
1: There is a, uh, I don't know what to call it. It's not on television, but it's getting a lot of press. It's called The Accidental Wolf, and it's a web series uh, starring Kelly O'Hara. I play her mother, deals with terrorism, very dark, uh, terrorism on every level, both in the family and Actual international terrorism, People Magazine just gave it a big review and put it on its website, I guess, or something. Anyway, I'm terrible at all of this. Um, uh, that's it as far as what's coming out. There are some uh, smaller films I've done that are sitting in the wings, doing the what do you call the festival circuit. Wonderful film called Cortez that has yet to get a you know distribution, as they say. Uh, And then everything else uh, is my directing career. I started directing about 12 years ago, so I'm dealing with four plays as a director and reaching out to actresses for Broadway production of a a wonderful Irish play called Chapati. Chapati. I have a play called Martha, which is a one-woman play that I've reached out to another wonderful actress to play Martha Graham, very interesting piece, and then two new plays that have never been done that are bigger casts and both Southern, so we're trying to find productions. That's part of the, you know, the director's dilemma is reaching out and saying, would you like for me to come here and direct this play for you? <laughs>
0: Hopefully they won't be all at the same time.
1: (laughs) Uh, No, Uh, that would be, I would hate to have to pick, but what a nice problem.
0: (laughs) I'm Rich Walensky and see you next Sunday for another edition of the Bay Area Theater Podcast.